This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. We're back for the Miami Book Fair series, and it's always been a fun part of our um, repartee here. And uh, so um, we will be interviewing over the next couple of days several um, authors who will be appearing at the Miami Book Fair, and that's um, November 15th through 22nd in Miami. And um, it is a virtual fair this year, so be sure to check out the authors. Um, before we begin, we, uh, we have a sad note to report. Um, a two-time guest on this show, Ralph Hollow, uh, former columnist with the Washington Times and former um, conservative columnist of the year, passed away over the weekend. And um, we just want to say, um, give our condolences to his wife, Millie, and um, and all those, all those friends and family, and uh, it's a sad, sad day um, for journalism there. Um, but we're talking today with another um, politically active um, individual. His name is Daniel Newman, and he has an innovative new book called Unrig, How to Fix Our Broken Democracy. And um, Daniel is a national expert on government accountability and money and politics, and he is president and co-founder of MapLight, a nonpartisan nonprofit that promotes transparency and political reform. Um, he has appeared in hundreds of media outlets, including CNN, CBS, MSNBC, Fox Business News, and NPR, and lives in the Bay Area. Well, welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you, Bennett. It's a pleasure. And um, what was the genesis of Unrig? For the last 15 years, I've been working to expose money's corrupting influence in our democracy. And as you said, I started an organization, MapLight, that does those exposés and helps reform our political system. And as I've done this, I found that it was really hard to uh, for people to have an entry point for what are the problems of our democracy and how to fix them. There are some terrific books out there that go into great detail about the problems with our democracy, but uh, they leave solutions sometimes for a few mentions in the last chapter. They don't really tell how to bring about those solutions. Yet I saw people around the country that are making positive changes happen. I wrote this book as a graphic novel. It's a 250-page nonfiction comic book to bring optimism and positivity so you can understand what's wrong with our country first, but also see the solutions that are tested and working in, in place and the people that are bringing them about. When you say optimism and positivity, I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that over the weekend, uh, we had a, uh, a drive-in um, festival that included Moonstruck. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing Shira say, snap out of it. <laughs> But you know, optimism and positivity is everything we do need at this time um, in, in these crazy, um, this crazy era. But um, we've had actually—you're not our first graphic novelist um, we have on our show, 
and and from the Miami Book Fair um, a couple of years ago, we had um, Robert Sikorsky, who had did a, an amazing um, graphic novel called Terms and Conditions, and basically he used liter literally terms and conditions. I think it was from Apple um, to make a graphic novel, uh, and so I thought it was quite innovative. And we see the value of the graphic novel, and here the green you know, the graphic. Um, presentation. And I, I heard one of your presentations and someone said, you know, why did you do it that way? And I get it. Um, and anyone in, you know, kind of our age, you know, we grew up with, um, you know, Schoolhouse Rock. And, you know, so some of some of these concepts were talked, taught to us initially. And of course, not that we didn't have school on top of that, but they were taught to us in the cartoon format. Uh, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill, right? Exactly. From, from Schoolhouse I, Rock, yeah. yeah so, I mean, um, I, yeah. I, I mean, I grew up reading the the local paper in Trenton, New Jersey, and it was always the funny pages. It was the first uh, that I was interested in. So it's it's a medium, yeah. All of us has grown up with, and uh, if you, it's it's visually uh, it's visually appealing to to everyone. I, I think if you are stuck on an airplane in an emergency, they don't have a long list of dense type telling you how to get off. They have a comic book on the safety card telling you how to get off because it's university accessible. And, and so when you first started thinking, I want to write something on this, when did you, was it graphic um, illustration from get-go of the idea or you're like, how can I communicate this? Did you actually start writing it first as a, just a straight, you know, um, nonfiction book? I wrote it uh, as as a unique piece for a graphic novel specifically. I've been interested in writing a book for years about the problems with our country and how to fix them. Mm -hmm. But there's the the audience for uh, nonfiction books. I mean, reaches a certain segment of society. But I wanted something that could could reach much more broadly. And I I was uh, was fortunate enough to be in touch with. Um, First Second, which is a publishing division of Macmillan that has published Unrig, and they hooked me up with this amazing artist named George O'Connor, who's written other best-selling graphic books. And so it was a collaboration with me writing, instead of writing uh, a draft text, it was really a draft script. And it's what do the characters say? And I'm then end up being the narrator in the book, uh, put in the stories of uh, people like the badass grandmas of North Dakota that ended secret money in North Dakota and so many other stories. And then George, the artist, would bring these to life in amazing ways. Now you cover a number of areas that I think need to have light shed on them, um, from the role of the Koch brothers to uh, voter suppression. And um, actually, this show. Uh, at one point was on iHeartRadio. And I, I had a show where I referred to the Koch brothers as pond scum. And I noticed shortly thereafter, we were no longer on um, iHeartRadio. I don't know if there was any coincidence, but hey. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about the Koch brothers? Since in terms of money and politics, they, they seem to be the, the Darth Vader in, this, in the system. So as I was writing this book, I was thinking about what makes a better democracy. Is it better democracy meaning government actually work for most of the people? And that means more people voting. It means less money in politics. So people are influenced more by the people than by big companies and billionaires. And I thought, well, who's the opposite of this? Who is it out there pushing for more voter suppression? Who is pushing for more gerrymandering? And who is pushing for unlimited secret money in politics? And then there's an answer to that question. So it's the, the Koch brothers is have the shorthand, but it's really a network of about 700 billionaires and millionaires. Uh, so it's a really tiny group of the, the US population that is really pushing this agenda, this anti-democracy agenda. Now, in the book, I call these people the wealth hoarders. Sometimes you refer, you hear them referred to as the radical right, but I don't really think that is an accurate description because there's lots of right-wing conservatives that are they're quite different from what this, this group is. This group is extreme libertarian. So these wealth hoarders, want, they realize that in a modern inclusive democracy, if it's working well and responsive to the people, then there are going to be things like public schools. There's going to be things like healthcare. There's going to be things like social security. And some of this, the money for this comes from taxes on very wealthy people. 
And these people have an extreme view that uh, they just, they don't want to be taxed. They don't want to help other people. They think everyone thinks out for themselves. They've already got theirs and they just, right. they just don't want to help. And so, so they've been, they've been pushing uh, an anti-democracy agenda because having things be anti-democracy is the only way that they think they can win. And um, you go into you know, the background, they started off as a, a libertarian, a libertarian candidate. Uh, one of them in 1980 was a vice president, presidential candidate, um, thinking Ronald Reagan, <laughs> yeah, the, who many can see the apex of the conservative movement was, was um, too liberal for them. That's right. And David Koch ran as the VP uh, candidate for Libertarian Party, partly so they could avoid campaign finance limits and spend as much as they want. In fact, the, the Kochs provided 60% of the money for that Libertarian campaign. But then they got crushed in the 1980 election. They got only 1% of the vote. And they thought, well, running Libertarian candidates is not really going to get them where they, they wanted to go. And so they they started this, this multifaceted plan to shift all of government and society to the right with hundreds of, of think tanks, of educating judges, of changing rules. They, um, the, the story is really well told in this book called Democracy and Change by Nancy McLean, a historian at Duke University who unearthed the, the documents that, that describe all this, as well as Jane Mayer's book, Dark Money. And so uh, you can, on my, the book's website, unrigbook.com, you can actually read the Wealth Order chapter for free and, and get this whole quite sweeping 50-year story of how uh, the, the efforts to dismantle democracy that is still going on today. And so you talk about the, the secret money in North Carolina. Can you give us, give us more background on that? So in in North Carolina, so the question is, what would the what would the 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 country be like if the the wealth hoarders win or successful? Sure. They, they are, and and so in North Carolina, there's there's a good example of that because, uh, backed by unlimited secret money, they had take over state government uh, several years ago, and so they started uh, slashing uh, teacher salaries, laying off teacher assistants, cutting school supplies, ending environmental regulations. Regulations, ending a clean money election program so judges could be elected without uh, big money. So now, like the, they were able to elect their own judges, uh, turn down health care for poor people, even though the federal government was paying for it. So it's this whole list of, uh, so we know pretty precisely like what they would like to do with the country because this is what they've done to North Carolina. And the, the one of the things that uh, I think has gone is not done enough recognition is that the how the wealth hoarders have have taken over the Republican Party thanks to unlimited political spending. So since the Citizens United awful Supreme Court decision in 2010, that's allowed the wealth hoarders to spend uh, money on federal races for Congress and even on state and local races. And so many people have remarked that the Republican Party over the last 10 years or so has gotten less willing to compromise, uh, less science-based, more anti-climate. And you have this phenomenon that people who were previously considered moderate Republicans, there doesn't seem to play, be a place in the, the national political party for them. Like this is driven by this, um, this funding of, uh, of these, this small group of billionaires that has a really extreme agenda and says to Republicans, like, look, you either back this agenda or we're going to back a primary challenger. And that's happened again and again. And so that's why you see like national Republicans and many state Republicans towing this line that seems like much more extreme than it was 15, 20 years ago. And in the whole um, anti-tax movement too, with that, and the, the view of wanting to, quote, shrink government to the size that it can drown it in the bathtub. Absolutely. So if you, there's a section in, in the Wealth Hoarders chapter that details how like attack on government is really essential to having attack on democracy. And what are some ways to attack government? Well, you can you can defund it, right? So you can like reduce mm -hmm. taxes so it doesn't have money. You can have extremely expensive wars, which has been going on like in, in Iraq and Afghanistan for, for many years now. You can... Um, 
you can kill government programs that are affected. So like the Cokes have funded a lot of anti-transit campaigns in cities around the country because they don't want, his public transit is something that government does that a lot of people like, and they don't mm -hmm. want the government to do anything that people right. like. So, uh, the, so it's like this, this long running attack on government. And when we hear people on the, in the radio or the, the TV talk about, oh, you can't trust government, they can't get anything done. That is the result of a deliberate strategy to be anti-government that's been going on for decades. And unfortunately, we hear it echoed throughout society now. And I mean, North Carolina is an interesting area because of all the, you've seen the, excuse me, you've seen the battles between the legislature and the Democratic governor and you know, trying to restrict the governor's power um, and in a very undemocratic way. Um, and but a big thing you're seeing in North Carolina is voter suppression. Um, some of the laws there have been challenged. Um, there was a discovery by the daughter of one of the authors of the North Carolina voter suppression law that it revealed those notes that clearly showed that the, the North Carolina election restrictions were intended to suppress African American vote. Um, so it's, it's very troubling what's going on there. Yeah, so you have a situation where, where the, the Republican Party, backed by the, the wealth hoarders group, is, is not willing to say, okay, let's just debate ideas and let, um, this, let's just decide who, who has the best ideas and earn people's votes. It's really, let's try and use everything we can to stop people from voting. And we saw this in states that had Republican state legislature control over the last 10 years. I mean, you hear some, some things about voter ID laws. So mm -hmm. just to, it's like in Texas, for example, uh, when they introduced that law, you could, um, your student ID was not allowed as a voter ID, but your hunting, like your gun license was allowed. And so the, these things that they're blatantly biased, you know, absentee ballots don't, uh, there's no, the voter ID laws typically exempt absentee ballots because historically at least more Republicans have used absentee ballots. Right. I mean, the, and just as you say, it came out in court that these were explicitly racially biased. So, um, and, and this is still going on like right now today is uh, Houston city, uh, the, the state of Texas saying only one drop off ballot box per county. Well, who does that hurt? It's the, the populous counties like where Houston is with millions of people and uh, just really doing everything to, to stop people from voting that they can. I've actually done some work in voter protection and, and been part of the, the legal team that goes to polls on election day in 2012 and 2016. And in 2012, I was, um, part of you know, the Obama voter suppression legal team in um, Florida. And the governor had actually cut back on early voting. So specifically having it end on a Saturday to avoid the, the souls to the polls where you know, African-American churches brought um, their voters to the polls after, after services. And um, there were two things that struck me. One was they also adopted a longer ballot. Um, they had more, put a whole bunch of measures on it and made it so that it would take longer to vote. And they cut down the number of um, voting machines. So it would go slower. And so here I was standing in line on a Saturday night, um, polls closed at, I think, seven. And, you know, it's getting close to 11 and there's still, you know, a hundred people in line. And I'm thinking we're only a couple hundred miles away from Selma when you know, we, that, where the bloody Sunday that gave us the um, Voting Rights Act occurred. And, and I'm thinking all these years later, the, these poor people are still having to fight for their right to vote. And, uh, you know, and I agree with the Speaker Pelosi and that, you know, I think it was HR1 was a new voting rights act. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned HR1. So uh, as we tape this show, it's mid-October and we don't know the results of the presidential election, that if the if the Democrats win the Congress and the presidency and they have the opportunity to pass legislation, then the, the number one agenda that I would like to see is this bill called HR1. This was introduced in 2019, last year, 
by the Democratic House, and it is a comprehensive pro-democracy bill. It's a terrific bill. It expands voting rights. It provides publicly funded elections for members of Congress so they don't have to depend on billionaires and corporations to get elected. It cuts down on gerrymandering. It does all the things that are, we, we need to do to fix the, the bedrock of our country in, in this way. And um, so let's, let's address some of those items. Um, public funding, that's sometimes a hard sell. If, explain why, because one argument I hear is that you're, you're giving funding to candidates who may not have demonstrated support. You know, why so should I, go ahead. Yeah, so the good, so the good public funding systems give money to candidates that have demonstrated political support. So I, um, I have worked on many public funding systems, including leading the effort in my uh, town of Berkeley, California, where I live, that, um, that like New York City and the state of Connecticut and Maine and many other places, candidates can run for office and win without special interest money. So the way that works in New York City, for example, if you receive a contribution from a voter, so you get a $50 contribution, the government matches that contribution. Maybe they give it, sometimes it's like a six to one or eight to one match. So mm -hmm. you get $50 from a voter, you get $400 from a city fund. And so what this means, instead of the way it used to be is as a candidate, you're spending all your time calling people in wealthy neighborhoods and rich political donors for money and, and lobbyists. Like instead, you're going door to door, you're holding grassroots events, you know, give me $10, give me $50. And then you have all the money you need to run your campaign. And right. so once you get elected, then you don't have these favors to pay back from people who have given you big money. I mean, the, the money for campaigns has to come from somewhere. And right now for Congress and most places, it comes from people who want favors from government and, and big business who wants to, who wants things that are contrary to the public interest. And so we're not going to get a country that's actually responsive to the people unless the people actually fund the campaigns. Now, some people say like, well, why are we giving tax money to politicians? That's like the neg the line on the opposition is, side. Yeah. Well, so we, we already give tax money to politicians. First of all, we pay them, right? We do we pay our tax money to pay that, right? We pay for elections, but but most significantly, we pay for the entire government. Like our taxes fund everything the government does. And if you think of that government as this amazing, expensive sports car, and we, the taxpayers, have pooled all our money to buy this amazing sports car and it can do amazing things. But the key to the sports car, we say, you know, we're not going to pay for that key. We're going to get the lobbyists pay for the key. And that's the political campaign. So the lobby, we let the lobbyists pay for the local campaigns. They own the key and they drive the car wherever they want. And that's what we need to pay for that last piece, the key, so that we have control of our government. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more from Daniel Newman, author of Unrig. After these messages, you're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on WMR. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let WebmasterRadio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. WebmasterRadio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. The best gavel-to-gavel -gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. 
And we're back. And um, of course, if that was um, truly ironic, we would have had an ad from Lamborghini. But um, <laughs> in talking about government as a sports car and, and funding it, I, I like the example of what happened in um, Washington, was Seattle, where um, voters got basically $100 that they could allocate to a candidate. So Seattle is unique in the country that they have a public funding election system, clean election system called democracy vouchers. So every resident of Seattle in the mail gets $100 in coupons that they can give to candidates running for office. So if there's a city council member you like, you can give them $100 in these democracy vouchers and the candidates uh, turn that into the city to get actual $100 to run their campaign. So this dramatically shifts the dynamics of who funds campaigns. So in Seattle, like most places in the US and at the municipal level, uh, the, the funding overwhelmingly came from the wealthy white areas of the city. But now every person has the ability to contribute to campaigns. And so it makes candidates responsive to everyone. They can go door to door, have a conversation. The voter says, I like what you're doing. Here's $50 in vouchers, $100 in vouchers. And in fact, we have many candidates run for office and win that were first time candidates that were community leaders that had student loan debt. You have one woman, Teresa Mosqueda, who was now the only renter on the Seattle City Council. So it, it opens up diversity of who is can run for office and it opens up much more diversity of who is actually represented in office. And um, an, another area you cover is the whole um, gerrymandering, in which is you know not a new phenomenon. In the uh, the term I think dates back to the early 1800s in yes. Massachusetts. Um, and explain why it has become more and more perverse. So that so gerrymandering is the process of politicians drawing the lines, who lives in my congressional district, who lives in my city council district. And in almost every place in the country, the politicians in power draw these lines and they usually do this to benefit themselves. So fundamentally it's anti-democratic because they try to draw the lines to, to maximize the seats for the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Uh, they try to make districts non-competitive, which means if you're in the minority party in that district, your vote uh, doesn't, doesn't you know, matter so much. Um, the one of the changes over the last 10 years is the increase in what's called extreme partisan gerrymandering. Mm -hmm. And that is drawing these lines to, to of extreme benefit to one political party or another. The Republicans have done this the most, but the Democrats have also done it some. And it, it has this problem of locking in, uh, like say a state legislature, for example, like the Republicans gerrymandered Ohio in 2011, the, after the last census. So it Republicans are locked into power as a majority in state legislature, even if like most people in the state vote for the other party, the Democrats, the Republicans like end up still having a majority. And so now with the next redistricting process coming up in 2021, 10 years later, they can lock themselves in again. So it's this without right. outside action, like a court battle or uh, a court a legal case or a ballot measure petition. It, it creates like this undemocratic state. And I, I think in Congress, even though, um, for example, in the House of Representatives, even though the Democrats get an overwhelming majority of the votes, um, they don't, that that does not translate into seats because some of the districts are so um, partisanly gerrymandered. Um, and yes. the result isn't that it's not only anti-democratic in that the, the party and um, the party that gets the most votes doesn't always get the most seats, but it, it creates a, a certain ideological, um, it favors extremes by creating you know, districts that are just you, one um, viewpoint only, you get less, um, you get more extreme um, representatives. and. In California, as you know, we have the the commission where where three did um, redistricting and and uh, 
to avoid gerrymandering. And you know, they always cited the example of Iowa, which also did it on a, a nonpartisan basis. And that Iowa's members in Congress, um, I guess with the exception of uh, Mr. King, um, generally weren't as extreme and tend to be more moderate than in other areas of the country where they, they there was this kind of partisan gerrymandering. I, I think that the models in Iowa and California the, of uh, re citizen, like in California, Citizens Redistricting Commission, you have uh, regular people that apply to run this commission. They're not allowed to take into account political party or where voters live. They do it in a fair, even-handed way. And you get uh, districts that are are more competitive and not uh, biased in an ideologically or partisan way. Now, the, the great thing is, is that um, this movement is spreading. So in, in one of the stories I tell in my book is in November, 2016, Katie Fahey, was despairing about the presidential election. She was a Hillary Clinton supporter and Clinton had just lost. And she thought, well, rather than just complain about it, what can I do about this? And she put up a post on social media. I'd like to help fix gerrymandering in Michigan. That's where she lived. Can mm -hmm. someone help? And there was an outpouring of thousands of people to help her. And from this, she and others started this group called Voters Not Politician that led to this, this volunteer citizen-backed signature campaign and ballot initiative that reformed gerrymandering in Michigan. And so now the voters, not politicians, draw the lines. And, and I mention that because throughout this book, I tell stories like that of regular people who have made big changes happen. And I outline what steps it takes. Because, you know, Bennett, anytime any of us read the news, like it's always negative. That's just how the news works. They're reporting on the problems of the world and that's an important role to play. But you're not going to read about the solutions and you're not gonna read about how the solutions happen. That's one of the reasons I wrote Unrig. So you have a how-to manual and you have inspiration for how to actually make this positive change. And then that is important. I think, you know, having a grassroots movement is a way to, um, can get more people involved and educate them. And, but they're the only way you can change a system that's already entrenched. Now in California, and I don't know what your view on this, you know, I grew up in New England where you, know, you have a lot of town halls and you know, it's a little smaller, but um, coming to California and seeing this kind of proposition system, which initially was established um, for voters to get around a legislature in Sacramento, which was controlled by the railroads. Yes. Um, and now you, you're seeing a lot of times that it's big business using propositions to kind of overturn um, the, the judgments of the legislature um, or in, in forcing voters to decide complex issues that maybe um, would be better addressed by a legislature. What do you, what do you think of that? So I think that the initiative process, like it, it's still so important because of what you said, like it, the, and it helped end the state uh, complete control of the, the railroads like a hundred years ago. And there have been many uh, public interest oriented citizen oriented measures that have passed. I think what needs to happen is the rules need to shift to be more beneficial to citizens and less beneficial to corporate interests. So one that I had a part in in California is more disclosure. And this is something that can be done around the country. So in California, all the ads for the propositions have to say the actual companies that are the biggest funders in clear letters, like on TV and all the mailers. So you know, like who's doing this. Uh, number two, have it, you have a year to collect signatures instead of a shorter amount of time to make it possible for volunteer signature collection. And number That'd three, have, gatherers, yeah. exactly. And number three, because it costs so much to it. There's so many signatures needed in California, and many other states that you have to pay people. And that's a real barrier. And number three is to have electronic sig petition signatures. And in the internet age, there's ways to do the security. My organization, MapLight, has a, a software that's actually free to any government that wants to do electronic uh, ballot measure petitions. And so it, it makes it possible for something that has broad popular support to actually get on the ballot. Now, just you, you mentioned MapLite a, a couple of times, and, and, and I haven't really um, taken the bite. But you know, tell us a little bit about MapLite, because you have on uh, one of your senior fellows as a past guest of the show, Ann Ravel. Yeah, so so MapLite is a nonprofit organization that exposes money's influence on politics and promotes political reform. And we're doing a lot of work, including with Anne, former FEC chair, on stopping online political manipulation. 
So this is what you hear about on Facebook and Twitter and other social media, just massive disinformation campaigns by domestic actors, by foreign actors. And so we're putting forward mechanisms to stop that. We have a browser plugin that you can download for Chrome and Firefox. If you search for the Maplite plugin, that allows you to report misinformation that you see and, and help fight it. And so that's, uh, that's our latest frontier and work in uh, fixing our democracy. How how does that work, and you know, particularly in this twenty twenty environment? So there's uh, when you see something on Facebook that's like a voter suppression ad or has the wrong election date and such, which happened has been happening for for now several election cycles in the U.S. You can report it, and we work with a network of groups on the ground in states and and. Uh, in states and cities that are nonpartisan, they're just trying to make like a fair election for everyone, and then they can pressure uh, the the Facebook to take those things down. They can pressure election officials to uh, to put out ac accurate information about whatever it is the, the latest lie is being put out. And how hopeful are you? Because we now have we're taping this with about 15 days before the election. Um, how successful has that been and how hopefully are you that um, voter misinformation won't um, win, win the day this year? So I think it's, it's uh, you know, anybody followed the, our country even casually over the last 10, 20 years is things are chaotic and unpredictable. And, uh, and I think that um, there's there's so much voter suppression efforts, both by misinformation and otherwise, that the election is likely to be close. I don't know. This is probably going to air after the election, and I could be proven wrong. I, I think that uh, every little bit makes a difference. Um, like the um, you know Bush versus Gore, of course, turned on right. like a small amount of votes and massive voter suppression in Florida. Hillary Clinton got three million more popular votes than Donald Trump. Uh, the difference in the electoral college uh, states was only 100,000 votes difference between the two of them. Uh, it's it's a lot of uh, small things make a huge difference. And so every one of these things we're talking about in the gerrymandering and voter suppression and unlimited money and and disinformation campaigns, like it's all um, it's all turns on the margins. And that means that everything you do as a citizen, not just about the presidential election, but at the local and state races too, makes a difference too. And I think that's an important point that every vote matters. You always have to real believe that because you, you have these elections like recently in Virginia where it came down to drawing straws or coin toss because yeah. they were tied. Um, when I, I worked on a campaign, two campaigns in um, 1982, um, and that was the kind of the first midterm of the Reagan era. And these were you know, two Dem New England Democrats challenging a Rep Republican senator in states that were heavily Democratic. And um, what happened that day was an unseasonably warm, it was in the 70s, November. And Reagan um, was able to maintain the Senate majority because of about 70,000 votes um, and allowed five senators in basically um, from Vermont, Rhode Island, Connecticut, and a couple other states um, to, to narrowly survive, all because of the fluke of good weather. Hmm. And, you know, from your perspective, that's good because more people voted and, uh, and you know, the more independents came out. But, you know, I, I worked on a candidate who was called by CBS News um, midday that they're going to lead the election night coverage story with him announcing his victory and uh um but uh, this was against senator chafee and he was able to get out the vote and get people to turn out in the evening uh, before polls closed and cbs called back and said we're gonna hold off on that and he ended up losing by like seven thousand votes but you know so there are a lot of factors and uh um, it's no secret that the reason why the primary for mayor of chicago happens in february <laughs> <laughs> is to make sure that the most faithful um, are the ones who vote and not everyone. Yeah, as, um, this economist, James Buchanan, who is uh, is mentioned in my book and also in the great book, Democracy and Change, his, his say, was fond of saying that the uh, 
the 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 results depend on the rules, not the rulers. We need to focus on the rules, not the rulers. And I think that the the wealth hoarders trying to rig democracy have been very focused on that. I think the the pro democracy, all of us like that want government representative to the people, have not been focused on it as much. And I I want to like I want to one of the central themes of the book on rig is that like if you want government to actually make meaningful action on climate or uh, actually have good education for all kids in the country or um, healthcare that actually works for people or anything else that you want the government to do is that we have to unrig our democracy first. And we can't just look at those other issues, central as they are, we have to change the underlying rules in a positive direction so to unlock government actually working for what people want. Now, constitutional amendments. You know, there's some challenges there. You, know, you have a, a landmark you know, decisions in Citizens United about how money is speech. Um, what would, what is your wish list, if any, on changing the Constitution? There are so many uh, constitutional amendments out there that I'd be so happy with if they they passed. But uh, like like uh, at at this. Um, so Joe Biden has put out a proposed constitutional amendment that all election campaigns can only be run with public money and you can't have private money in election campaigns. So that's that's one that sounds great. The problem with constitutional amendments, of course, is that they're extremely difficult to pass and right. they take a long time. So even though uh, those those would be great, that's not the solutions that I recommend focusing on because there, there are so many other things that um, like changes to the Supreme, term limits to the Supreme Court. This is up right now, right? With we're going through the um, Barrett hearings as, as right. we take the show. Um, there's that would rotate on and off judges in a way that matches the uh, presidential election results. So you have a much more like even-handed fair process to the courts uh, and getting courts that's in favor of sensible uh, political money regulations like that. That's like a much more quicker and practical approach, even though it has its own challenges um, than a constitutional amendment, which is also great. It's just going to take a long time. Rich, have you, I mean, I'm a lawyer and, you know, I came from a group in a state where judges were appointed and I live in a state now in California where they're elected or both. Um, what is your view? Should judiciary be elected? I think that appointment makes a lot more sense. I think with with certain safeguards, like you have a commission to to make sure you have qualified candidates to depoliticize right. the process as much as you can. And the problem with elections is judges need to get the money from somewhere to be election elected. And a lot of the time it comes from lawyers. And if you have well, a hearing yeah. case, right? And uh, and you know it, it, it's also been. Um, manipulated these elections, you have um, secret money coming in to try and knock out a judge who might not have sufficiently pro-corporate policies in, in some cases or uh, more represents the public. Um, so I think that and now when there is elections, I think it, it can work if you have publicly funded elections. So in North Carolina, there was a, a great uh, public funding of election system for judges that when the, the wealth hoarder uh, billionaires took over the state. They eliminated that program, um, but but you can see why they eliminated it because it was a threat to the power of wealth. If the judges get elected based on public money, they're going to represent the public. Exactly. And if the judges get elected based on billionaire and corporate money, that's who they're going to represent. And then you see that, and uh, um, North Carolina is is a troubling example. It has a troubling history. Even there was a, I think it was in Wilmington in the. 1890s or you know, after the Civil War where there was a um, racially mixed city council elected and they were actually driven out of town. It was like the only like coup where an elected government was forced uh, to flee and uh, in American history. And uh, so it's, it's troubling what's going on there. Um, we're gonna take one break and when we come back, we'll wrap up with um, Unrigged by Daniel Newman, the graphic novel um, drawn by George O'Connor. You're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. 
If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY podcasting system. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one training. A weekly podcast for you or your company. Distribution to almost every podcast portal. An embeddable player for your website. An ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts. And much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.wmr.fm and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking with Daniel Newman about his new book on rig, which will be at the Miami Book Fair uh, November 15th through 22nd in, the, in a virtual capacity. Um, David Korn of the... Uh, Mother Jones said it is dramatic and inspiring tale of champions of democracy fighting for and implementing practical solutions. It's a great read with important lessons for any citizen who gives a damn. And uh, I know David has been in the forefront in some of these movements. And uh, in the 80s, we both have websites called Bush Lies. Um, he had bushlies.com, I have bushlies.net. And sometimes I, I, uh, I remember corresponding with them saying, I got some death threats saying, should I forward them to you? Or <laughs> he's like, no, you can have them. But, um, but he's been very, he's someone who's been very committed to honest government, to people knowing the truth. And uh, so, I mean, him giving that endorsement is very positive. Um, what's, how do you feel about the response of the book so far? It's been terrific. I mean, it's come out at such the right time. We're all locked down and shelter in place for COVID. And the book really describes, even though the book was written before COVID, describes the attack on government um, by the the Wealth Hoarders Network that make, has made government really non-responsive in the U.S. In, in the way that really needs to do to protect us. I'm also pleased that this is coming out in this time of heightened attention to racial justice in the U.S. So one of the connections that sometimes is overlooked is the role of these problems of um, of our rigged democracy for racial justice. So let's let's take money in politics for example. So police are uh, held accountable for police violence and misconduct. A primary way is prosecution by district attorneys in cases of misconduct. But often these district attorneys are elected positions and they raise the money for their election from police unions right. as a primary funder. So you have the person, the district attorney in charge of deciding whether or not to prosecute violent misconduct but they've received money from the police officers through their union. And so they're not going to be able to have the same fair-minded public interest approach because they're dependent on police union money. If you have public funding of elections, you can have uh, the the district attorneys get elected without that kind of dependence. Has there been any um, evidence as to what the pandemic has done for book sales? Are people reading more now that they're trapped indoors or... I actually don't know the the answer to that. I think for for me, I, there's been a lot more virtual events. So I've done uh, ones everywhere from San Diego and Chicago and the East Coast. I have another one lined up in Alaska. And so that's because there's such more openness to that kind of format. It's been it's been fun to to talk to so many groups and so many different geographies. I think that is a positive thing. I, I hope it continues. Um, to allow, yeah, for example, you could not go to whatever bookstore is in Portland, Maine, necessarily, uh, on whatever budget you have, 
and then, then the next day being in Seattle or City Lights bookstores in your hometown. Um, it's, and, and so that's been a great uh, a godsend in a way in a very dark time. It, it is, and it's, it's sort of, um, yeah, it's like new constellations of like who you can listen to and like when people are stuck in their homes on the internet. And the, but but in a, in a democ open democracy point of view, could that allow even more citizen participation in government? You know, should you have to go to Sacramento to testify, or should you be able to do it by Zoom? I, I think there's great potential for that, right? I mean, it's everyone's forced to get on the the video bandwagon now, the video conferencing, and so um, I I do hope that governments make it more possible to participate. So. Um, we only got a few minutes left. I know you have a hard stop, but um, we're talking with Daniel Newman, author of Unrigged, How to Fix Our Broken Democracy. What do you hope that we're talking about four years from now? We're talking about the, the, the changes that, that Congress has signed into law and the president has signed into law about fixing these issues of money and politics and voters' rights and gerrymandering and specifically talking about the progress the company, the, excuse me, the country is making and that people are more connected to their lawmakers and that especially those lawmakers have uh, make changes that most of the, the country wants. I mean, there's so many issues. I mean, let's take uh, gun background checks, for example. Mm -hmm. So that's an issue, depending on the poll, as much as 90% of the public want improved background checks. It doesn't matter your political party, yet Congress hasn't passed that. People want right. more transparency for political money. They want to know where they're, where, uh, who is influencing elected officials. 90% of people want that, yet that hasn't happened. So I want to see things passed into law that reflect what the majority of the public want. Well, maybe we'll get that. We'll find out um, after after the show airs and then in the next ensuing years. But I want to thank you very much. Um, the book is Unrigged, How to Fix a Broken Democracy. And um, we have uh, some great responses in addition to David Korn. Um, Spencer Overton, the author of Stealing Democracy, says it, it clearly illustrating the toughest problems that threaten our system of government. Unrig has the potential to be this generation's most influential book on American democracy. It is a must read. So good luck on your book tour and good luck on the virtual Miami book fair. Um, <laughs> you won't get the benefit of the weather, but yeah, you're in Berkeley. So life is good there anyway. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Bennett. It's a pleasure. Best of luck to you. And that's our show this week. And um, thank you for joining us for another edition of Cyberlaw Business Report Special Miami Book Fair edition. And uh, we'll join us again and we'll be talking to more authors from the Miami Book Fair. Thanks again. This is Bennett Kelly. Thanks to our producer, Brasco. And uh, we'll be back for another edition. Have a great week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.